Civil War ended slavery and united a nation, but at an enormous cost. Was it worth it? We'll ask our guest, Professor Harry S. Stout, author of Upon the Altar of the Nation, A Moral History of the Civil War, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to your national park, people. I'm the park ranger. This man is not a park ranger. I can answer any questions you might have. He can't answer anything. Uh, what if we see a bear? Uh, grab it by the tail and drag it back to me. But isn't that dangerous? Oh, please, I'll be fine. He's an imposter. And here at SPCS NET Yellow Pages, we'd like to remind our customers not to fall for that kind of stuff. That buffalo is actually quite tame. Go ahead and blow in his face. There's only one real SBC SNET Yellow Pages, the one you rely on for more information, more ads, and more up-to-date listings. Now, if you really want to see a mountain lion, just wear this medallion around your neck. But isn't this steak? Yeah, it's a steak medallion. Now, get going. You'll see a pack of them pretty soon. Is it any wonder more people trust the SBC SNET Yellow Pages? Look for us online at smartpages.com. World Talk Radio. Bringing the world to you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Dr. Harry S. Stout of Yale University, author of Upon the Altar of the Nation, A Moral History of the Civil War. And Dr. Stout, as we resume uh, our discussion, one of the few perks I get for doing Civil War Talk Radio is a chance to remind my listeners at every possible opportunity that once in my uh, misspent life, I went to Harvard. And, uh, I'm always reminded of the scene on Gilligan's Island when the millionaire wakes up and says, Lovey, I had the most horrible nightmare I dreamed I was a Yale man. <laughs> so I thought I would share that. Yes, I've heard a few of those stories. They, they, they go back and forth between. Um, <clears throat> well, in our first segment, we talked uh, about your, your extremely important book, Upon the Altar of the Nation, which looks at the Civil War through a moral prism and evaluates uh, what the people of time did or did not consider in terms of its, its moral values its costs and its benefits and the as much as i think the book is long overdue and appropriate i was troubled by the sense that i got reading it that that while the criticism was fully justified that that people who should have been using their their moral sense to evaluate this particularly the clergy the the intelligentsia the intellectuals the newspapers uh, while they're all abdicating his responsibility in your view, and I think you make a strong case, uh, what troubled me was, was the lack of a sense of alternative. You, you point out that uh, Lincoln and others were willing to accept massive casualties as the war went on. Mm-hmm. But my question is, what is the alternate to acceptance other than surrender? What else could they have done? And, and if they couldn't have done anything, then isn't it just moral dandyism to point and say, well, you, you shouldn't have done it that way? Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I think that any book that uses the word moral is very vulnerable, and appropriately so, to the word moralistic, uh, where I'm just preaching. But I really do think that um, that 
had there been more moral reflection, the war would not have taken the course that it did, and that it would not have um, that it would not have wrecked the havoc that it did. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll stand by that. It's, it it did make a difference that these things weren't talked about. Um, James McPherson and I don't agree on everything, but if you read his book, Battle Cry of Freedom, or, or maybe one of his, he writes so many I can't yeah. keep up. Maybe it was in one of his others. He makes the strong argument that it was precisely because of the, the power of religion, and I would add the absence of hard questions, that it really accounted for the last and deadliest year of the Civil War. That um, he argues, and I think persuasively, that had the religious sensibilities and consciences been different, uh, that that last year might never have come. So, yeah, no, religion is not, you're not going to avoid the Civil War. Uh, you're not going to avoid uh, the bloodletting that was required. But I, th I think that it could have certainly have been minimized and that um, the religious, political, uh, moral arbiters on both sides of the occasion uh, of conflict have to be held to account for that. Because if you don't hold people to account, then you fall into the trap that we have fallen in time and time again. Okay, what happened, happened. War is hell. Uh, it couldn't have gone any different than it did. So let's forget. Let's move on. Let's celebrate the bravery. Uh, recount the glory, uh, the romanticization, as you said at the onset of your show, and move on. Uh, the problem is by never holding actors to moral account for their actions, there's no reason why it can't happen again and again and again. And we see this in American history as early as the, the Plains Wars against the Native American Indians right after the, the Civil War ended where uh, uh, Sherman and uh, Sheridan employ the exact same logic they employed uh, in the Civil War, except now they're annihilating Native Americans. Well, no, I, I'm completely with you on the premise that if these issues are not examined, that you run this risk of, of the same thing happening. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure I understand yet what, what such reflection might have produced in terms of, of making the war less horrific. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you point out that there's a vast amount of killing, but as Nathan Bedford Forrest said, and I, I don't typically quote him uh, on, on my side of many arguments, uh, but, but he said, "War means fighting, and fighting means killing." Uh, well, it you can't take the killing out of war. It doesn't mean just that. It means that there is a difference between war and savagery. That there are such things as rules of engagement. Again, in the war in Iraq today, we are obsessed with these questions. We're asking them, "What are the rules of engagement when Iraqi civilians uh, are put in the path of harm's way? What do we think think about uh, collateral damage? How do we?" How do we frame that within the larger paradigm of war? Uh, do we give our Shermans a green light to uh, march a swath of destruction through civilian properties without, a, without an enemy soldier in sight? Does this fall within the rules of engagement that we want to pursue as a just and honorable nation? Or are bounds being <laughs> If the questions aren't asked, then the implicit judgment has to be, it's okay. It is awful. War stinks. Uh, but it couldn't have gone any other way, so let's just suck it up and move ahead to the next war. And, and that concerns me greatly. And, and on the one hand, uh, I think you see a trajectory in American history and all world history of that happening up to the mid-20th century, where those rules are further and further attenuated until they disappear almost entirely. And now they've made a comeback, uh, so that, as you point out, in, in 21st century warfare, we are, 
very concerned with the rules of engagement and, and avoiding uh, unnecessary damage, collateral damage, reducing it to a minimum, not uh, allowing civilians to be targeted intentionally, as happened in the Second World War. But I would argue historically that, that as strong as your argument is, that I, I'm not sure it's placed accurately in the Civil War. Mark Neely has made a strong case that this is far from a total war, that that compared to the Napoleonic Wars that came before, certainly compared to the Thirty Years' War, civilians in the Civil War are rarely targeted and are treated with much better, uh, much, much more concern than they will be in in the wars of Europe in the 20th century. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that that's a, a, a valid argument. I've gone back and forth, uh, not so much with Mark Neely. I, I've read his, his article, um, but with Alan Guelzo, who uh, another distinguished Civil War historian. Who, Alan's going to be my know, guest next week, and I will certainly ask him. Total out that specialists are going to crucify you if you use that word, total war. They're going to talk about Napoleon. They're going to talk about... Uh, World War II, 20th century wars of genocide, don't use the word. So I said, okay, what word do I use? Uh, Mark Grimsley, another historian, uses the word hard war. Well, what does hard say about the ethics of war? Hard just says it was hard. Hard things were done. Uh, it doesn't get at the mentality. And so uh, I stuck with total, just, uh, excuse me, total war Conceding uh, Mark Neely's observations, contrast to the 20th century, um, but nevertheless, in, uh, in terms of focusing on the participants themselves, what did the participants in the Civil War experience? Uh, and what they experienced, soldier and civilian, male and female, little children, for crying out, what they experienced was absolutely total in the world of, of which they were a part, in their world experience. Uh, they didn't know what was coming ahead in the 20th century. Um, I would argue that they didn't know to, to what extent the Civil War prepared the way for what we've seen uh, in, in the 20th century. But in their experience, uh, this war was total, and they knew it. Uh, they were as obsessed with it as anyone else. They kept every shred of evidence that they wrote during those years because they knew there was nothing like it before, and they hoped that there was going to be nothing like it since. But, but can't you apply that, I mean, logically, to, to the, the killed in action, every war is total. Uh, to, to the families who lose uh, a loved one, every, that war is total in terms of the devastation it wreaks in their, in their own household. Sure, but it doesn't um, necessarily expa expand or extend beyond them to embrace a society as a whole. Right, and I would argue that that doesn't happen in the Civil War, that, that the, the society as a whole is not so so caught up and you make the point about sherman's march for example but mark grimsley in in uh, uh, the, the hard hand of war talks about what a narrow swath of destruction this is it's a sample but it's not widespread it's, it's a, a demonstration of what can be done yeah uh, mark grimsley and and james mcpherson both suffer from the same deficit that they rely almost exclusively on northern records <laughs> and the North did a very good job of covering their moral flanks, both during and after the war, and Sherman and Grand in particular. Uh, and they bolstered one another up uh, quite a bit. But Mark Grimsley's sources are almost exclusively federal, and, and he buys the argument uh, that the federals, that the victors presented. If you look in the index of uh, Mark Grimsley's book, I think you'll find one half page devoted to Columbia, South Carolina. 
um, you know, why the silence, why the reticence to talk about what was arguably the most notorious urban battle, uh, anyway, fought in the Civil War, and, and the conduct that was uh, described so graphically by another distinguished Civil War historian, Charles Royster, who called it the destructive war and really focused on Columbia, South Carolina. But, but in Royster's chapter on Columbia, he... There is no chapter. I'm sorry? A half a page. No, no, in, in Royster's chapter, not Grimm's. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. In, in Royster's chapter on, on uh, Columbia, he points out that, that it's not even clear who burned the city down, that, that, that to this day it, he's not able to resolve that question. Yeah, it's pretty simple to resolve a question, though, where there's no defending soldiers in town and you, you let loose one of the most notorious uh, companies on, on that town, and you say, oh, my golly, awful things are happening. The liquor's been let loose. How did this ever happen? Well, it happened because you never kept the soldiers out in the first place. Mm-hmm. But these questions aren't explored by many Civil War historians because they simply don't want to face the fact that wrongs were done, especially wrongs on the, on the, the part of the, the, the Federals. And so uh, they burrow deep into the uh, official records of the Civil War, into the rationalizations that these soldiers had a lifetime uh, to invent and to, to justify their behaviors. I came across an instance where Sherman ordered the arrest, the wholesale of arrest of a couple hundred women working in factories and shipped them off to a military prison in Louisville, Kentucky. That event doesn't show up in any Civil War book that I've read because it's uncomfortable. Uh, and it's not the Civil War that you want to remember. James McPherson in Battle Cry of Freedom talks about Sherman's march to the sea. All of the sources but one uh, are the official records, the, the federal sources on Sherman's march, Sherman's own war. And then at one point he says, um, you know what's really interesting about the, the Sherman's march to the sea are the tactics. So the civilians are forgotten, the destruction is minimized, the rationale for it is the North's rationale. And, but let's not even talk about that. Let's talk about the fascinating tactics that Sherman employed because it really was a logistical masterpiece that he pulled off. And by writing history this way, you, we perpetuate the same avoidance that characterized uh, the actors themselves in the 19th century. And so we can look back and, and have a war that in, at some level we can celebrate and say, well, there were hard aspects, but it was as clean as it could possibly be. And so that's the way we want to remember it. That that's a, a very powerful argument, I think, and that echoes what uh, I, th- I think the discomfort that that elicits among Civil War buffs, uh, Civil War enthusiasts, is is paralleled by the, the discomfort that discussions of slavery uh, can evince among uh, uh, Confederate uh, celebrants. We'll call exactly. It. Uh, exactly. They don't want to remember. They, they uh, don't want to remember. They don't want to discuss slavery as a cause of the war. The, the South as a culture. Um, really, up until the civil rights movements in the 1960s, and, and I, I think, and, and that, as I said, I stood up and cheered when I saw the title of the book. That that's just the sort of discussion that needs to be conducted to to evaluate uh, the moral qualities of the war. Uh, not long ago, we had Lonnie Spear on the show, who's written about atrocities in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, makes the same point that that there is a dark side to all this, not not just the ordinary dark side of war that that our loved ones are killed, but uh, but but the, that this was not necessarily an entirely clean war. There are atrocities, there are murders of prisoners, uh, there are executions, and and it's important not to forget them. 
while at the same time maintaining perspective on uh, on them. The question of, of rules in war is an interesting one. Uh, it's one I, I frequently raise with my students, and you get often the sort of naive, all's fair in love and war approach as the initial response when you ask, uh, should there be rules in war? But, of course, as you pointed out, there are many rules in the war we're uh, conducting in the 21st century in Iraq, uh, and there were w- rules in the Civil War. Uh, That's right. There was what I call the West Point Code, and, and it, was, uh, it, was very much a, it was very much a mentality of limited war, uh, of war of soldier against soldier. I mean, this was the prevailing uh, ethos that virtually all of the commanders uh, on both sides of the conflict absorbed. But then many of them, like Sherman, and I'm, I think I'm c- coming close to quoting Sherman, said at some point I got over that. Uh, you know, in, in other words, at some point, uh, talk about conduct, talk about uh, ethics of war. Uh, war is hell. And this kind of talk was almost silly. Uh, as Sherman experienced more and more of the the hell uh, of war he was in. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm not willing to let those issues go because war is unnatural. War is killing. Uh, War is lethal destruction. And in any uh, other context, it's called murder. Uh, So it's very important that you have those rules and understandings so that uh, you don't descend into the same unjust madness uh, as your unjust opponent. Uh, that's why we were so um, humiliated, I think, by the revelations of the, uh, the, the tortures going on in the prisons in Iraq, uh, because we do have that moral sensibility uh, that has been shaped. It has been articulated in the 20th century. It was at the basis of the Hague Convention and later the Geneva Convention. Uh, and it continues to be raised at some level even today, although there's uh, sentiments uh, that uh, those conventions aren't necessarily binding uh, in every way. At least we're, you know, we're talking about it. Well, so it seemed to come down to almost a relative argument then uh, about the Civil War, in which on the one side you can say, well, it's wrong to burn cities, but then you can say very few cities were actually burned, certainly compared to later wars. It seems your your point, and I think it's a very important one, is is not to simply take comfort in that that uh, Sherman was not uh, was not Hitler. Uh, so right, that's better. Um, that that should be cold comfort uh, in your view. Yeah, you know, and I really, and I also have to say, I really like the questions you're right, you, you are raising because I never had the illusion in writing this book that everybody was going to see the gospel according to South. Uh, that everyone was going to read this and say, uh-huh, I, I actually wanted some outrage. Uh, I don't like to be, you know, I don't like to be beat up, but uh, I, I'd like to see people reacting strongly. And, it, and it's clear that, that you've had some strong responses to some of the arguments that I put forward in, in terms of just war theory. Uh, I, I have, and, and, and that's I have some more. exactly and what I wanted to, to talk about, because even in Civil War history, it seems that these issues aren't engaged in a really provocative way. If they're engaged, they're engaged in such a way uh, as Mark Neely and uh, Grimstead historians. By the way, I, I love their books. Uh, I just don't love their their arguments entirely. Um, you know, to to raise to, to not simply make readers think that these problems have been solved, that we don't have to worry too much about the Civil War. What we have to do is remember it uh, and honor it. Well, let's hold on that thought. We're going to take one more break and come back and talk more about the 
the, the conventions of the just war and how they apply to the Civil War. It's an important subject. Please come back and join us in just a minute on Civil War Talk Radio. Music. 